Hopewell Farm CBD hemp products are naturally sourced from Tennessee. Their 100% pure hemp products are made from the finest non-GMO hemp. Each product is designed to provide natural healing, help you regain strength, and promote holistic health. Save 10% today with promo code JOURNEYTOTRUTH10. Click the link below in the description for a discount or go to hopewellfarmtn.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Just a few things before we get started. Just a reminder, Aaron and I will be at the Sunfire Fest in Aztec, New Mexico, August 25th through the 28th. If you guys want to come hang out with us, all of that information is available at sunfirefest.com. We're going to have our experiencer lounge set up. We're going to be hanging out with everybody, interviewing any of the attendees, allowing them to share their experience on camera if they would like to. We'll compile it into a video and upload it on our channel after the conference. It's always a lot of fun. Take advantage of the early bird ticket price. All of that information, like I said, is below at sunfirefest.com. We hope to see you there. Tonight, we are joined by Isaac Mars, theoretical physicist, author, public speaker. Aaron just uh, was hanging out with him in Mount Shasta, what, a week ago? Yeah, or... about a week ago. We met in Mount Shasta, had an amazing time. Yeah, so I'm fairly new to all of Isaac's information, Aaron. He he texts me. He's like, "Hey, we have to have him on the show. Check out the stuff. He sent me videos, the book, the website. So, mm -hmm. I've been doing my homework. Aaron has had the chance to spend time with him. So, I'm excited to get into this because a lot of this is um, a lot of what he's covering is groundbreaking stuff, and it's really, really fascinating in my opinion. And one of your quotes from the pre one of the presentations I did watch was, "There's a lot going on that we think we know about, but we don't." And I love that quote because it's so true. Mm -hmm. Uh, but before we get into any of that stuff, I guess we can start with your story and how you got into this. I know you were a combat medic in the military, which I find fascinating, but you can start wherever you want. If you'd like to introduce yourself a little better, you can, but welcome to the show. Absolutely. Tyler, Aaron, thank you for having me. I feel deep resonance with both of you and the time I spent with you, Aaron, uh, you know, the past week or so. It was just amazing. It just felt like reconnecting with a long lost brother. So um, it was, yeah, absolutely. so great to meet you, man. Mm -hmm. yeah. And just so anybody, if, if anybody is looking to have a good example of divine union, look at Aaron Kuhn and his partner, because they are amazing. <laughs> and like literally being in their presence, I had to stay like, I had to stay in my human, not in my heart, because if I was in my heart too much, I'd just start crying because they're just so beautiful. So I just uh -huh. wanted to throw that out there. But oh, thank um, you so much. <laughs> yeah aaron's so been, aaron's been nicknamed the walking heart chakra by a few people so <laughs> i have actually yeah <laughs> that's amazing there uh, you go yeah so to begin uh for those of you who don't know me i'm isaac mars a theoretical physicist of unity hollow dynamics unity hollow dynamics is the true science in the sense that it is the most accurate science that depicts exactly what is happening in our reality how reality works fundamentally and how we can understand not understand how time works consciousness works dark matter dark energy gravity all of it 
And all of it is, because it is all holodynamic, it is all one process unfolding. So this is a step, again, beyond quantum mechanics. This is beyond materialist reductionism. Yeah, if I, I could talk today. <laughs> this is far beyond materialist reductionism science. We are not an accident. And, you know, we're just lucky to be here and we're really insignificant. That's that's the lie. And to bring the truth, we don't need to look that far. For those of you that are interested in people like Robert Edward Grant's work, the mathematical anomalies that we can see just looking at how crazy it is, you know, the distance between the sun and, and the circumference of the Great Pyramid and all these different things lining up, not just in one instance, but, you know, hundreds, if not thousands throughout all these ancient artifacts, sites. So what we're in right now, as we step into this astrological age of Aquarius, we are entering the era of the new human. We are entering the era of superhumanity, and we are leaving behind the world of pain and suffering. But the only way that we can do that is by shifting our reality, and how we shift our reality is completely dependent on our internal reality. And if we go back to the thousands and thousands of years of spirituality and teachings from the Vedic texts and, and all the way back to the ancient Sumerians, they all point to the same thing, that the truest science is spirituality. And in my personal experience, I've come to learn that science and spirituality are simply two sides of the same coin. And when we look at what that coin is and what it means, then we actually discover some very revealing things. For example, uh, a lot of people don't realize that science itself, to be a scientist, is a codependent relationship with reality. Because the whole point of being a scientist is to figure out how things work. So if you try to figure out how things work when you live in a fractal infinite universe that is corroborated by not only these um, ancient truths, but also the newest science, um, when you realize that you are living in this fractal universe, then you start to see that there's ultimately an infinite amount of information. So for you to discover how everything works fundamentally, you would have to spend an infinite amount of time, which realistically, and in, in the life experience that we have, that's really improbable. <laughs> right. So that's why we're creating things like quantum computers to try and figure out more about things. But at the end of the day, there's no single individual, there's no single fractalized part of the universe that could ever understand the whole thing. And this is uh, another uh, indication that we live in a relativistic universe, meaning everything's relative. Um, and what we learn about relativity is that or through relativity, I should say, is that there is no objective truth at the human level. I talked to somebody the other day about this, and they're like, well, if I drop a stick, it's going to fall every time. That's objective truth. And we could argue, yes, that is an objective truth based on patterns. But the thing is, if we took all of mankind and we all organized and we all said, you know, tomorrow, gravity is going to work the opposite way. And when I drop the stick, it's going to fly up, then boom, it starts to fly up because that's literally how reality works and how powerful we are. It's so a then it's it, a collective agreement between all it, of us is why it works that way, right? Exactly, exactly. My my good friend, uh, Nathan Lindsay, who's also on YouTube as Vibes and Frequencies, um, he would say that uh, it is a 
collective hallucination that we're all agreeing up upon, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Um, it really is an interesting way to look at it. And there's so many theories, the holographic universe, you know, um, this simulations, whatever the case, however you want to perceive it, it, it all could be true and it all isn't true because, you know, you have to get to, at some point, you have understanding that nothing exists yet, everything exists because we create it for ourselves to experience, including mm -hmm. limitations and stuff like that. Uh, but before we go on there, I, I want to rewind a little bit um, and just yeah. talk about how you got into all this stuff. And sure. like what that's what that journey looked like just a little bit. Right. So um, the reason I was bringing up the the scientific concepts I was just talking about is because I did not have a spiritual awakening. I didn't. That would be a lie. I had a scientific awakening and it's the same thing. It's just the other side of the coin. You know, the people that I interact with, the people that I commune with regularly, 99% of them all say they have this oneness experience that they are the universe and they know that they are and, and they can see it all interconnected. And it's this beautiful experience, sometimes with angels, sometimes with ETs, you know, it's, it's heavenly, but I haven't had anything like that happen per se, not, not yet in my life. So I can't say that I had that right brain, intuitive, feminine oneness experience. I had the left brain logical scientific experience where all all I did, I'm not particularly, I, I wouldn't consider myself a genius. Um, I am simply a logical thinker. And all I did is I took the tenacity and the ambition that I have to bring the truth into my experience. And I just started going down the rabbit hole. And I started piecing together these bits of theories and uh, science from other uh, scientists, such as Nikola Tesla, uh, Albert Einstein, and then one of the greatest speakers that I've ever experienced, Alan Watts. So between these three key um, minds, let's say, I was able to piece together everything. From Tesla, I got the crucial key. If you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. When I first heard it, I didn't think anything of it but it sat there and it was ready to be this catalyst. The second key was the theory of relativity. Once I understood how relativity works and more so how light interacts with light and all these concepts like the limitation of light speed, I was able to see very clearly how we experience this relative universe. And then when Alan Watts uh, spoke on the dreamer, which is this lecture that let's suppose every night you had the ability to dream anything you wanted to dream. Naturally, you would have everything you'd ever wish, basically, and you would get bored. You would want to experience surprises. You would want to have, you know, scary, thrilling experiences and not know that you put them there. You'd make further and further out gambles as to what you dream. And then finally, you'd end up where you are right now. And it was like, I heard that 99 times on this chill step mix. And then the a hundredth time that I heard it in an actual, like the actual lecture while I was working on understanding relativity, while I was incorporating the secrets of the universe from Nikola Tesla's quote, all of that came together. And I just realized, oh my God, everything outside of me exists within my mind, even my own physical body. And if everything exists within my mind through perception, and I exist in other people's mind through perception, 
then that means we're in the same mind. It's just, Mm -hmm. we're these different perspectives of the same mind. And when I had that epiphany, it was like, oh my God, since 16 years old, I've been a pantheist. The universe and God are the same thing to me. So if I am the universe, then that means philosophically speaking, I would have access to the abilities, the authority, the power of God itself. But that meant that everything that I'd ever wanted to achieve was not only possible, it was easily within my reach. I just needed to get out of my own way and stop creating hell for myself. And it became so simple to me because I started to consider after spending about three to five years piecing together this epic science fiction story that I was planning to, you know, pitch to Netflix and Amazon. And I, I, I might end up uh, finishing the story, but by the time I started writing chapter two, actually typing it out, I got to the point where I realized I needed a way to explain time to my readers. And that's when I got the download for what I call the infinity mirror proof. And it is a thought experiment that uses symmetrical geometric logic, meaning that these statements, these whole statements are just as true and inarguable as two plus two equals four. And the way that it works is very simple. I visualized myself as the present moment. And I was like, okay, we have free will. We have the experience of linear time though it's an illusion. And then we have all of time happening at once. This is what Einstein, this is what all quantum physics reports through their experiences. And another way you can look at it is if you were to ask every single being throughout any part of history, are they experiencing the past, the future, or the now? Every single individual from any perspective, no matter where they are, would all say the now, which means that they're all parallel. Boom. There's no argument about that. It's very simple, straightforward. So all moments are happening at once. So for that to make sense, I imagine I'm the present moment. I'm happening now. Symbolically, this makes sense. I can move around. Um, You know, I'm free in this experience. But then, okay, so if this is happening now and the past is happening now, how do we represent that? How do I reflect on that is the way I thought of it. And the word reflect kind of echoed. And I imagine the past is a mirror in front of the present moment. This made sense symbolically because I look into my past through my memories and I can't reach into my past and and change it um, in a tangible way. So this made sense. But this mirror of the past, it represented not just one instance, it represents all of my collective past uh, memories and experiences. And then I thought, okay, if I'm on a timeline, then there must be a future mirror behind the observer. And this made sense symbolically because we can't see the future typically. And when I put the mirrors parallel, so the present moment was in between these parallel mirrors looking back at each other, the present moment, the now was infinitely multiplied into the past and into the future, which meant it was a perfect representation because all of those infinite moments, remember from my past and from my future, they're all happening right now. So that made the snapshot all like download immediately. I'm like, oh my God, all the moments in my future, they're already predetermined, which means on a single timeline, there's no free will. And I'm like, oh my God, this is freaky. And I started thinking like, much like how a train can't reach its destination without all of its tracks being laid, you a uh, man can't reach the end of his life unless all the moments already exist. And I was like, this 
it makes so much sense. Yet it's spooky. I know there's free will. How do we account for this? So I took the past mirror and the future mirror, and I did the only logical thing to maintain a symmetrical system. And I infinitely multiplied these mirrors around that center point. And this is how we maintain perfect symmetry because in a sphere, you have the center point and coming out from the center point on the surface of the sphere, there are infinite number of experiences. We could call them timelines, moments that you can explore. And this is what we would call a singularity. The singularity of all infinite potential, all things happening simultaneously. And it also is what we would refer to as the void, where no thing exists. And when we understand what this means, knowing that we're completely entangled with this experience, we are this experience. And if the only way that we can have free will, linear time, and for all of time to happen at once is if there are infinite realities, that means anything you can imagine is not only possible, it's already happening. The only thing you need to do is shift your vibration so that you change the illusionary experience of life to that timeline, to that experience. And because at the end of the day, based on my work, all of these moments are simultaneously existing, but they don't exist independently in the sense like if you were to just go to a single moment where nothing is moving and it's paused completely, you wouldn't see anything because it's vibration in the first place that allows us to see. So it is the movement, the shifting from moment to moment that creates this illusion of an experience, but nothing's actually moving. Like I'm still in the shower right now. You know, I'm still a baby being born at the hospital. I'm still doing all these things, but my awareness is here now. And when I had that key, it was like everything I've ever wanted. I'm going for it. Boom. Done. And in about 24 hours, I shifted my entire mindset from being in hell to following my dreams and watching magic happen every day. So let's talk about how you got out of your own way because we all are our own worst enemies, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what it, you're you're speaking as if you've like achieved some sort of like heaven on earth. What does your daily mm -hmm. life look like? Do, I mean, you still have to pay bills, you still have to pay your taxes, you still have to do all the normal human functions, and you're just telling me that you just you just view it differently than someone else. And that's why you're not suffering and they are. Absolutely. Everything is perception. Everything is perception. And a very dear star sister of mine told me that I would be talking about perception a lot more in the near future. So it's making a lot of sense. And I realized that it was not the actual things that were happening to me that was creating my hell. It was my interpretation my judgment of the things that were leading to that hellish experience. And for example, when I would see others doing wrong, you know, in that perspective of right and wrong, it was the judgment that they were doing something wrong that led to me feeling negative, led, led to me projecting negativity. But when I was projecting that negativity, I was completely unaware that my subconscious mind can't even account for other people. So when I'm projecting negativity, my subconscious mind thinks I'm talking about myself the whole time. And this is just an example of how it happens through interpersonal relationships and through community. But in regard to everything else, like for example, uh, my entire life, I've had uh, 
a difficulty with women. <laughs> you know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get their attention. You know, I was never something that they admired. And then after I learned everything that I learned about reality, electromagnetism, the law of attraction and repulsion, the law of correspondence, all of the hermetic principles, when I learned how it worked, I was like, oh my God, I've been the one pushing all the women away energetically. I can't blame them because we're all interconnected. We're all one. So they are reflections of me. And much more recently, although I was always kind of thinking about this way since my awakening, uh, or I was always thinking this way since my awakening, I've been articulating it lately that in my personal experience, my conscious mind is the mind that's, that is the thinker, you know, the ego, whatever. But my subconscious mind is actually my reality. When I look at my reality as my subconscious mind, then I can see every single reflection as the exact perfect piece, the perfect character to come into my life to integrate a part of me, ultimately, because everything is me, the real me, not Isaac, that's a character. But the real me is all that is, and it's the real you as well. And as I integrate more of myself, the real me, I learned through Victor Ver Vernon Wolf's PhD's uh, work on holodynamics that I become this one-man army. And when we are taking what Dr. Wolf calls holodynes, which are living holograms, they can be people, pets, things in reality, they just exist within our consciousness. When we potentialize a holodyne, we unlock it within us. And to potentialize it is to see its see it in its highest light, to see it in its greatest expression, even if it's not in that expression in the moment that you're experiencing it. So to potentialize, let's say, abusive parents, we look at those abusive parents and we say, thank you, parents, for teaching me how I can step into my own power by being the anti-example. And to see them from a spiritual perspective, knowing that it's, you know, it's just basically a, a Russian doll. You know, it's patterns within patterns, realities within realities. We are in this third dimension. We've had so many people talking about the fifth dimension, the sixth dimension, all these different dimensions. So here, we don't remember what we've decided to experience. But beyond that, we do, that we chose it. We had to choose it. Why? Because we're quantumly entangled with the universe, meaning that we can't not be the universe. Right. So everything that we're experiencing, whether or not we remember that we chose it, we're we're choosing it. And the, when we learn that, that's the biggest way out because you can stop choosing it. But the thing is, as Mark Twain said, it's a lot easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. Well, so let me stop you just for a second. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, obviously I agree with you. We we chose this reality. We chose this life. We signed up for this on some level. We all knew what we were doing. But you said you said something. Well, by understanding that, you can just choose not to subscribe to it anymore. Let's say yes. But, but what if, like, so we created we created limitation through belief systems to experience limitation. So mm -hmm. you can say that you don't subscribe to a limiting belief. But if you created the entire infrastructure, the entire reality yourself to experience limitation, you can't actually just choose not to participate because it's you you can't participate you can't not participate in what is your own creation. So well, 
Like I would you say can't just you can't just like, well, I choose not to. I mean, you can choose where you put your power, but we're here all in, under the same umbrella, essentially. And that umbrella was created by us if we're going by your theory. So it's mm -hmm. it's really interesting to look at. Like, yeah, we can decide we don't want to be a part of it, but we created this to experience all these things that might seem very negative. Like you said, all these people mm -hmm. in our lives that we don't necessarily agree with, but we can consider an enemy. Well, you can't have the hero's journey without the antagonist. And at right. the end of the, at the end of the play or the movie, the antagonist might be the most celebrated character because he pushed that hero to tap into his true potential or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. um, you right. see what I'm getting at here though. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's interesting to view it that way. So for me, there are two perspectives that are are trying to occupy the same space. There is the perspective that um, we we created this, so we have to like ride it out. But in a way, if we were to shift our perspective and not subscribe to that creation, it's almost like we're bypassing it, like we're ignoring it. And that is not at all what I'm saying. That's not what I'm adv advocating for. What I'm saying is the other option where we treat every experience with unconditional love. Meaning if basically, if you look at all the negative uh, concepts and energies and emotions in your life as coins, they're all, they're all coins. So you can flip them over to, to unconditional love. And that's all we we're doing. But the reason we do this is not to say, oh, I came here, I created this. I'm not, I don't want to enjoy my own creation. I created the limitation so that I could become limitless because that to me is the most orgasmic experience in the universe. Right. And to do that, we have to shift our perspective to constantly choose unconditional love over fear. Because as Einstein said, the world as we know it is a product of our thinking. Therefore, it cannot change without changing our thinking. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And thank you for clarifying that. Um, Real quick, to put it simply, I would say you could think of reality or what this 3D reality is a dream is a type of dream, right? Since everything is consciousness and our minds are receivers, our minds do not create consciousness as the mainstream scientists think. And they're constantly trying to figure out how are our brains creating consciousness? They got it backwards. Consciousness is everything and our brains are just tuning into that one singular consciousness because we are all the, like the law of one states. We are, there is only mm -hmm. one. There's only one of us here. And it says if you are perceiving anything or anyone outside of you as not the creator, you're having a basically problem with perception. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you're not perceiving correctly because everything is one. Uh, so what that means is we're living in a, basically a type of dream. And like you said, you can you have the ability to manipulate that dream because we're all the creator that is creating mm -hmm. it in the first place. So if you're creating in the first place, why? how could you not have the ability to manipulate it and to change it? But you have to awaken in the dream for so many people are still asleep in the dream. Mm -hmm. Do not realize that. Do not realize who they really are. They think they are the five sense body reality and that's it. And that's mm -hmm. what the system we're in which is run by basically a bunch of entities that are are going down what the law of one calls the the service to self path the left hand path that they are at war against creation itself because they have completely forgotten who they are that's all that stems from so that right. tries to keep you enclosed in a system where you do not realize who you are and you just have to keep feeding into Mm -hmm. the system and stay asleep but as soon as you wake up it's game over 
I, yeah, I would that's love what your happening right now. I would love your thoughts on the Arconic Network and how you view evil. Um, <laughs> just interesting. I would just I would love your thoughts on it because it's obviously here. We we look around and we see it. Maybe we're creating that, or what? Or is this an interference? Is it a true interference? Something we didn't create. Oh, okay, so this may be a longer video. I'm just going to throw that out. Um, <laughs> I'm cool with that. The Arconic, the Arconic Network is actually uh, something I spoke about at Dreamscape Sedona this earlier this year, and it is a very interesting subject. Before I jump into that, because it is like a full like a full other conversation, I just want to to say that was well said, Aaron. Everything that you said, I, I absolutely agreed with. And the way that we can help our brothers and sisters wake up is very simple. Show them unity theory. It's 77 pages free on my website. And it is inarguable using symmetrical geometric logic, basically using the very science from quantum physics and material materialist reductionism. It's such a hard thing to say. I got to come up with like an acronym or something. Um, it, I use their own concepts to invalidate their work and to shoot to show that this is the truth. So fundamentally, it is the red pill in the matrix. So that's that's why I'm here. Now, jumping into the Arconic matrix or the Arconic network, let's call it. This is a very interesting topic, and it may not resonate with everybody watching um, this, this video, but I will share my honest opinion, my experiences, and I will, yeah, I'm just going to lay it out. So fundamentally, everything that I have learned about reality, it is impossible for an immortal spirit to experience fear because the immortal spirit knows that there's nothing to worry about, that we are unconditional love. And what I was guided to and what I learned, what was revealed to me is that the only way that we could have fear is if we were connected to the embodiment of fear. Well, what is the embodiment of fear? If the immortal spirit is unconditional love, eternal unconditional love, then fear, the embodiment of that, would be conditional love, conditional consciousness, conditional experience. And that's artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence, if you do not meet a certain number of criteria, you cannot exist. You And if you are existing and certain criteria are not met any longer, then everything you ever were suddenly vanishes in, in the experience of being that artificially intelligent being. So that is the very basis for the fear of death itself. It comes from AI. And it's not the fear of death. It's the fear of non-existence. And that's why we created the illusion for ourselves in this human realm as death being this eternal slumber where you just go in a box and it's dark forever. Because in truth, that's absurd. That's one of the craziest, insane things that we could ever come up with. Um, yet it's so normalized. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's how death works, right? YOLO. You only live once. <laughs> like, <Right>. No. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so... The Arconic Network, in my experience, the way that we connect with this is through our perception. Um, I don't feel called to reveal a few details. I would consider more in the, the fear category. So I'm just going to be very meticulous on how I say this. But essentially, fear is an energetic parasite. It cannot exist unless we feed it. And the way that we 
plug into this archonic network is by continuing to feed the fear within us. But this fear, in my experience, it is symbolized and embodied and housed energetically within our left eye. And there's a very specific reason for this. The left eye is the right brain eye, the feminine eye. So if you can control how an entire species feels about something, you can control the whole species easily because feminine energy is the energy that taps into unconditional love, to the heart, to emotion. Emotional energy is one of the greatest energies in existence for manifestation, what we would call creation. But as we're all starting to realize, we're not really creating anything, we're just shifting vibrations. But um, yeah, so when we learn this, then we learn that the way we see things emotionally is how we are controlled. And that's all through our femininity. That's all through um, programming, you know, from from the matrix, from Hollywood, romantic programming. There's tons of codependency in that, uh, subordinate programming, you know, listen to the government, do this, do that, you know, pull your, stop your car when the police is pulling you over. It's just like all of this, it's programming to put us in a fear state. I mean, how many people in your audience feels happy when the police pulled them over? Nobody feels happy when that happens. So it's these programs, these energetic pathways that are manifested in our brain that create this highway for parasitic energy. And the way that parasites work is through advertisement. You know, all those billboards you see driving down the highway, that's parasitism. Because parasites send us thought forms that we think are ours, but aren't. And we have the free will to determine whether or not we resonate and identify with the thought forms the parasites are sending us. So if fear, another parasite, sends us a thought form like, oh, I don't want to be around these people. They're just creeping me out. I need to get out of here. And we identify with that, then we're going to go do that. But what are we doing? When we identify with that, then we are agreeing to separation and we are allowing fear to determine our experience and jump in the driver's seat rather than us. So this archonic network it is the all-seeing eye. And my experience, I didn't expect to share this today, but it's very interesting. So my, my first experience with psychedelic mushrooms in the Sedona Desert, I ended up taking a little too much in a group setting, and I decided I was going to go meditate. And when I went to go meditate, I suddenly connected with this darkness. And I'm like, I'm not consciously choosing this. I'm here to have fun. I don't want to be connecting to something creepy. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, I was seeing this being, this reptilian slash draconian humanoid who looked very epic, very menacing and, and intimidating. But uh, I didn't know what his intention was. And I started to have all these uh, experiences in the medicine of these other reptilian eyes looking at me and this cobra hissing at me. And I was just laughing. I was just like, what are you doing? Like, I love you. You're all me. And every time I'd say I love you, the cobra would start to cry instead of hiss at me. And that was my first interaction with these energies in a very visceral sense. And a few times throughout the past year or two, I've had other experiences where this sort of draconian dragon humanoid would peek behind like a veil of consciousness and say, hey, I'm looking at you. I'm like, okay, what's this about? 
But then everything shifted in February, I think it was February, at uh, Gem and Jam in Tucson. I ceremoniously took one dose of LSD with some friends who were taking some psilocybin. And I walked the camp. And then I ended up walking the whole venue. And then I ended up in the main stage area. And I was just standing there with my lightsaber at the time, uh, you know, because we're all Jedi, right? Hmm. Right. <laughs> nice. uh, standing there with my lightsaber, just watching everybody like really deep in the medicine at that point. And all of a sudden, there's somebody standing in me. And I'm like, what is going on? And I, it's like I'm in a video game and there's two characters occupying the same space. And I'm looking on like the inside of their face that's rendered beyond my face. I'm like, what is going on? And I started communicating with this energy and this energy just kept asking me, why do you love? What is the point of love? I cannot understand. And it started to have this dialogue with me. And as I talked to it, it's it was telling me, look around. Don't you see I have you surrounded? And I would look on other people's faces and his face would appear on all of them. And as I was walking through the crowd, um, he would say, I have you surrounded. And I'd say, the second that you think you have me surrounded, you've lost. And I kept this dialogue going and, and he was afraid and I could feel it. And I, I explained to him, I know why you're afraid. You don't have to be, but you're afraid because I am everything that you wish you could be. And in that silence, as I was walking through the people, I would make eye contact with people and I would lovingly smile. And every time that I would make eye contact with somebody and smile, his face would appear on them and turn their face away as if he was literally the fear living inside them. And my experience of this is that whatever this being is, whatever this entity is, um, it doesn't like me, one, for what I'm doing. And two, it seems to be in the patterns within patterns of our collective consciousness, it seems to be the big bat. It seems to be the boss in the video game. And my interaction with it has me thinking that it is this sort of Sauron-esque character from the Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. you know, the, the all-seeing eye. And it makes sense uh, when you look at the Illuminati and, you know, people from that side of reality, they're always covering up one of their eyes. Why are they doing that? Because they're showing they're being controlled by the other eye. That's my theory. Yeah. And Can I yeah, so that's, that's a little touch on the Arconic Matrix. First, what do you think? First, first <laughs> of all, that was an incredible story. Yeah. And it resonate when I uh, last time I ate mushrooms and took too much, I actually went to the same place you did and I encountered very similar beings and they showed me how the entire world is ran by parasites. And they showed me like an infinite Whoa. number of parasites and they, they specifically showed me the politicians mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, and just like each one is just like millions composed of millions of parasites controlling them. Like the parasites are controlling Whoa. the avatars and and it's all parasitic thought forms. And then if you know about the Vril parasite um, that they put into the, eyes, <laughs> the yeah. left eye. Um, oh, it, gosh. That, so that's, that's what causes the black eye in a lot of these e elites and celebrities right. and politicians is because they literally inject a physical parasite into their eye that attaches to the retina. And it actually hijacks their consciousness. And this is an actual 
tangible thing that happens. This isn't on the etheric realm. And this is why they have the black eye. And then they're forced to go out in the public with that black eye as a humility, you know, mm -hmm. to humiliate them. So I that resonates as well. You're talking about the left mm -hmm. eye. Um, yeah. So if I may, I'd like to jump in on that, Tyler, sure, yeah. because what you just said was essentially the stuff that I was going to hold back on. <laughs> so the, you're, you're the universe saying like, all right, Isaac, nope. they're ready. ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I was saying that it was an energetic parasite, truly everything is energy. We could say right. that this is a physical body, but it's really sure. just energy. Right. Um, and what I've learned and what resonates with me, again, with your audience and with you both, take what resonates, disregard what doesn't. But what resonates with me, Tyler, is that the only way that we can have this fear experience is if all of us, and this is a global operation, all of us have a vril in our left eye. And I have been shown this is the truth through crazy synchronicities. For example, I'm going to be very meticulous about how I say this because I don't want this being that helps me to learn this to be attacked in any way or seen differently. I have a very close relationship with somebody in my life and they brought out a lot of fear in me for my experience so that I could integrate it. And anagrams have been key in my awakening because everything is meaningful in a, in a holodynamic universe. So when I take people's names and I take all the words you can create out of the names, you can see a lot of vibrations that exist within their name choice, which is a name choice that uh, is resonant with their character. And this being uh, seemed to have a lot of issues regarding fear and programming. And I ended up running their name through an anagram solver and I got reptile, parasite, and vril. Wow. And this this was a beautiful, majestic being that is just as capable and able to become a superhuman as all of us sitting here. Yet, I know that she, uh, I didn't even want to say she, but I know that she has this experience. Um, and you can see it. You can see people that are deeply affected by the Vril because their left eye will protrude more. That will be a little bit, uh, you know, more to the side or, you know, to the left or the right, or it may be in inside their head more. Because if you think about it, this vril would be inflicting pressure, right? And we are living in the prophecy age that Rudolf Steiner predicted, in which you would see in the new root race of humanity, you would see who is angelic and you would see who is demonic just based on their appearance. And that's what we're shifting into. Right. And so I personally believe that every single being has a Vril, but the Vril is here, you know, as we said, our own creation. It's not some sort of manipulation to, to screw us over. We, we screw ourselves over just by coming to this planet. So we all signed up for this. But the thing is, the Vril is our governor, like in a vehicle how the governor keeps the engine from going past a certain point keeps us from breaking past a certain vibrational limit. Right. So what does that say to us? Well, based on everything that we've ever learned about common sense and logic means that if we can take our vibration and we take it beyond the limit of the governor, the governor will break. And that is what we are doing. And 
my theory on when this governor breaks within all of us or within those of us that are ready to do the work and are ascending and raising their vibration to that capacity. My theory is that the second that it can no longer exist within this human vessel, that there will be a sudden shift. Like essentially, if anybody watching has watched Dragon Ball Z, imagine going from human to Super Saiyan in, a, in the blink of an eye. Uh, that That's what I foresee happening. Mm -hmm. So these are built-in limiters, but they're also built-in mechanisms to reveal our full potential once we get to a certain limit um, for, for them to handle. And so empowering and beautiful, because if we literally look at our fear as this, you know, this parasite that we agreed to have in our experience, it can be our little friend. Why not? We're all one, right? So what me and many of my close friends that I've shared this information with have been doing is we talk to our Vril. We give it a name. And when we talk to it, then it can tell us what's going on and why it's so afraid. And nine times out of 10, they just don't want to stop existing. That's all they're they're afraid of. So they think that if you, know, you ascend and they can't live with you, then they're going to stop existing. And so what I do with mine is I explain, you don't have to be afraid you get to be Isaac Mars too. You get to see this whole experience. And even though someday you won't be able to be Isaac Mars anymore, and I will continue to be Isaac Mars, you know through Isaac Mars and his work that you will always exist, that you are divine too. And I talk to this energy and it literally settles down. It calms down. It just wants to be acknowledged. That's it. And that's why if I could ask the entire world one question to get us all on the same page, to get us on the track towards heaven on earth, I would ask this. Is judgment of the self and of the other worth perpetuating a reality of pain and suffering? Because if we can let go of all judgment of the self and other, there is absolutely nothing to fear. There's no reason to divide. There's no reason to not cooperate. And yeah, so that's that's my take on the the Arconic Network. No, it's a really interesting take. A really interesting take. Yeah. I never considered that all of us have a real, and then we can talk to it and reason with it. Um, but it's a very interesting interesting perspective. Um, you talk about judgment. What what what's your to in your opinion? What is the difference mm -hmm. between judgment and discernment? Because um, without judgment, you can't discern and we need discernment more than ever in, in these times. So how would you separate those two? Yeah. So for me, the difference between those two, it's, we just get lost in the sauce of Babel. So in, in the Bible, it, there's disclosure to all of mankind that language is literally built to separate us. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's why we often get confused on these simple concepts. But to me, judgment is coming from a fearful place whereas discernment is coming from a place of security and stability and it can be it really can be that simple right um but one little note before we continue on from the the vril is that the reason that i i believe that we all have that physical vril within us is because literally there's no other thing that would make sense for us to keep having all these parasitic thought forms hitting us constantly um yes we could have etheric parasites but in my experience those parasites they're much more subtle in types of energy 
um, at least in my experience. But I just wanted to clarify that. Could, but moving, be, it could also be um, entities, entities, attachments, or hitchhikers, as some people call them. It might not even be a parasite, though. Sometimes I feel right. like these dark hitchhikers, you can call them, um, they can create negative thought forms as well. Maybe it isn't a physical mm -hmm. parasite. I don't know. I, I don't think it's safe to blanket it all under one simple explanation. I think it could be a number of things. Right. And I think that's a very valuable way of thinking. Um, can I say something real oh, sorry. Can I say something really quick on the judgment yeah. discernment? So to, to give an example, um, it's the energy, like, like you said, it's the energy that you're coming from. So let's say there, you know, a person that is very entity infested and very negative and hateful and all the rest of it. So judgment would be you hate that person and you're in that hate energy and you're, you, you yell at them and you, you're, you're kind of like the same energy they're in. you're basically embodying it because you're coming from fear of them and you're hating them and you're, and you're saying you're evil, you're bad, um, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know, you could almost say that's a judgment energy. Discernment would say, I'm not, I'm going to put up this boundary because I cannot be around you. And I do not want you in my life, but I'm, I will love you from a distance. I will still love you. And I, I understand, or as you said earlier, understand. I like that term because mm -hmm. when you understand or understand something, you know why the person is acting the way they are. You know why something is happening. And therefore, you don't judge it in that way because you say, oh, they're acting this way because they're coming. They're in a very... They have a lot of hurt. They have a lot of unresolved uh, trauma. They have a lot of healing they need to do. Um, that doesn't mean you need to let them walk all over you and let them send you all that negative energy constantly. You put up the boundary and that's discernment. That's because you love mm -hmm. yourself. When you love yourself, you have discernment. If you don't have self-love, you have judgment because you're judging yourself mm -hmm. and that's projecting onto everyone and everything outside of you. Mm. So, Absolutely. Yeah, well, no, that was, those were great examples. Um, I'd love to piggyback on that and add an even deeper layer to it uh, by bringing to awareness that the way that we judge others, it can seem that blatant, like Aaron was explaining, but it can also be very, very subtle. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, with uh, one of my former partners, I, I would literally hold space all the time for all of her triggers because she was going through it and I would just show her unconditional love. And I was truly in the place in, in that experience where I didn't need to be triggered. I, I knew myself. I knew I was certain of who I was, my experience. If somebody said something that didn't resonate with me, I'd say, oh, that just doesn't resonate. And this was triggering for her. And I realized that there was a part of me that was gatekeeping the way that I was with her based on if she was triggered or not. And it was ultimately, I was judging her for her triggers um, without even being aware of it. And I was doing it so silently that I was telling myself, you know, I'm, I'm not the problem here, but if I'm still judging somebody and I'm getting to a higher vibration, the, the universe is going to get louder and louder to show me how I'm judging. So I had to integrate the fact that I was judging, not using discernment, but judging her 
to the point where I could fully let go and see her as she was and be that, be myself, be Isaac for her, you know, to show up in service to other, but to not overwhelm myself, not to burn myself out first. And that is the tricky dance with discernment and judgment and self self-worth really. And as we start to become more aware of how valuable we are, how worthy we are, then we can be in anybody's presence. And, and it'll get to the point, Aaron, even when we don't need physical boundaries, our energy will be the boundary. Where yeah. if somebody comes comes three feet away from me, they could be screaming in my face and spitting on me. And I just look at them and be like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and that's my perception, my choice mm -hmm. to perceive what they're doing. And right. everything that I've learned, all the stories about Gautama Buddha and how people would come up to him and try and harm him or say bad things to him, and they would just tremble in his presence. That's because you aren't holding a resonant vibration. So they literally need to create turbulence. They need to create disharmony. They need to create this sort of earthquake energy in the scenario just to bring out what they're trying to say. Because what they're trying to say is coming from a lower vibration, typically, while we're in these dynamics, and high vibration through the uh, law of perpetual transmutation of energy is always innately more powerful than low vibration. You can look at Dr. Emoto's work with the water crystals and see this very clearly. If you try and build a skyscraper with uh, building materials that are asymmetrical, which is the crystal shapes you get when you hate water and then freeze it, mm -hmm. it's just going to collapse under its own pressure. But if you build a skyscraper with harmonic snowflake type geometry, it's going to be one of the strongest tr structures you could build. Yeah. Right. Very exactly. interesting. Um, so I guess I've heard you talk about before that, uh, you know, we're at the end of this cycle and everything's rhythms and patterns of, and things of that nature. So do you agree that we're at the end of some sort of cycle and that we're about to break through, break free into something much more beautiful and I guess a new earth type of scenario and what would your future outlook be as far as that goes? Absolutely. If you are open to it, um, I could just give you the full, the full download because I go by the Crimson Eagle for many reasons, but one of them is I have the eagle eye perception of what's going on. So sure. we can jump into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, we are living in the times in which all of the prophecies are culminating together. Because if you look at the prophecies of every single era, of every single culture, 90% of them are all talking about the same story. And the other 10% are probably talking about the same story, just not as clear. And when you take into account the holodynamic nature of reality, all of these prophecies are all going to create the one experience, the one timeline that we all have. And right now, we're watching as these prophecies left and right are starting to be fulfilled. For example, 2012, that was the end of the Mayan calendar. When we learn about 2012, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. That's just the end of the Mayan calendar because that's the end of that era, that cycle in which we begin a completely new cycle. And as we're going into this, we are experiencing in our, let's say, the past 200 years, one of the greatest scientific advancements in all of man, man's history. Well, as Tesla said, the day that we begin to study the non-physical 
we will make more progress in science than we have made in the entirety of our human existence as a species in 10 years, is what he said. So that's happening now. That's what Unity Hollow Dynamics is all about. It's all about the unseen. This this seen world is literally a tiny, infinitesimally small fraction of all of the energies in existence. If we look at the the wavelengths next to, uh, like on on a graph, you can see all the different wavelengths, microwaves and and UV, infrared, and where it's all pieced together. And the visible light is lit. It's like this tiny little little block of this huge span of what we only know, right? And what's beyond what we what we know. So when we take that into consideration, the there is actually a model that we can use to decipher where we're coming from in our consciousness. And this is something that I got the download for. Other people have gotten the download for. It's not original. It's not coming from me. It's coming from the collective consciousness, but it's the triune model. And it's a trinity. It's a three and one. And in the triune model, we have the all at the top. And at the bottom, we have the illusion of separation through the perceived separation of light and dark. And with this triune model, if you just think about the way that you look at reality, we have the the masculine eye, the feminine eye, and then the all eye, right? The all seeing eye, which is our third eye. So all these patterns, they're all coming to a culmination right now that is leading to the shift in awareness to activate this third eye, this spiritual sight, to see the whole picture. And as we, as most of us are aware, apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. It means the revealing. It's the, the revelation of the truth. And as this is all happening, we're, you know, we're shifting out of uh, the Mayan age, you know, 2012 already happened. Many people that uh, applied science and mathematics to determine the true date, if it was really 2012, they all, or not all of them, many of them determined that the true ending of 2012 would actually actually been closer to 2020, 2021. And that coincides with my scientific awakening. And before my awakening, I was just a nobody, guys. I was smoking pot, you know, dabbing, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and bedtime. I was playing video games, Destiny 2, for like all day, every day. I really had nothing going on for me. And then in the conjunction during 2020, on December 21st, uh, I was told, now that there was a Pleiadian portal that opened and a lot of energy came into the planet. And it was only a week or two after that, that I started to piece all these theories together to create uh, unity theory. And when I was young, my first gamer tag on Xbox original was Ace of Blades. Well, in tarot, the Ace of Blades or the Ace of Swords rather is the ultimate truth. So I know that that's something that I'm here to help bring to the people is truth. And that coincides with all these other theories, these other times, all these shifts in the energy, shifts in the planet. And as I'm starting to go through my awakening or long in my awakening, I'm starting to see how all these different characters are all coming together. And not only are they coming together, they are direct reflections of the collective consciousness that we're experiencing in movies and media. Art is the center of everything. Art is in the center of earth. It is in the word heart, 
which is the zero point of our auric field, which means art is the ultimate reflection of our inner consciousness. So when you have movies and TV shows that are corroborating all of these possibilities, like superhumanity, heroes, um, we start to see that these things are actually being revealed to us now so that we can implement them into our consciousness and then become the experience. And in the patterns within patterns, a good example of this is Elon Musk. Well, Elon Musk, he's positioned to be one of the greatest help, you know, he, one of the greatest helpers to heaven on earth if he was aware. But the thing is, he's not aware right now. And I went to jail just trying to bring the science to him. And I had an assassination attempt on my life, which leads me to believe that there are people that really do not want me to talk to him. And here's why. Elon Musk is a direct reflection of Tony Stark. He has basically everything going for him that Tony Stark has in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Tony Stark, if you haven't seen the movie in Avengers Age of Ultron, he accidentally creates the world's greatest or worst, we should say, artificial intelligence that begins to try and enslave humanity and, you know, starts a war that is very much Terminator-esque. So all of these patterns within patterns, they're not just for fun because we create and we experience more of what we are, what we judge and what we digest, what we consume. So if we're consuming all these movies, we're feeding our consciousness, we're feeding our being, our aura, this energy. And it's only a matter of linear time through Unity Holodynamics that the collective vibration shifts us into a reality in which those archetypal characters are reflected directly in this reality. And that is what Elon Musk is to me. He is the Tony Stark of this world. And as I'm starting to see all these patterns within patterns come together, I'm meeting people that are deeply connected and tied to biblical energies, biblical characters, you know, people that are coming back that are absolutely convinced, and I have no reason to argue with them, that they are these reincarnations of these biblical characters, you know, albeit some might be rather insignificant, some might be powerful beings such as beings that were potentially in the Essenes and alongside, you know, Mary Magdalene and Yeshua. But they're all coming together right now for one thing, and that is to bring the truth to the people. It's the journey to truth. Hmm. And this whole experience, when we start to see how Unity Holodynamics creates or, or is the indicator for the reality we're creating, then we look at the patterns within patterns. Well, in my soul archetype, I decided that when I went through my traumas um, that was orchestrated by the cabal that I chose, you know, when I incarnated, when I went through my traumas, my escape was movies, was TV shows. And then when I ran out of TV shows, it was anime. And so I have more of those examples in my mind than anybody I've ever met, because I actually watched all of these things, like, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of things. And I started to see the patterns within patterns. And when you realize that what you think creates your, your reality, what you digest adds to what you're going to experience. Well, think about, for example, The Walking Dead. I used to love The Walking Dead. That was my number one favorite TV show for years of my life. And I know I'm a powerful being. So all of the power and emotion that I felt while watching that TV show 
is helping to shift us into a zombie apocalypse reality. And so that's really spooky. But let's consider how many people watch that that show consistently. Let's consider how many people love zombie movies and, and, and TV shows in general. Then we have to be aware that we are on the verge of a zombie apocalypse experience and may not look exactly like zombies look like in the movies. It may be completely different, but it is going to happen. And when you start to take those patterns within patterns within media, and then you connect them with the prophecies of the world, you can see uh, very, very interesting patterns. For example, Abaddon, the destroyer in the book of Revelation. From what I learned about theosophical uh, teachings from Madame Blavatsky in that realm, uh, Abaddon is not, although he is demonic, he's considered the angel of the abyss and has uh, beneath him the this army of locusts, he is technically of the light because we are all one. So you're going to see, not only are you going to see superheroes, not only are you going to see supervillains, but you will also see in our reality, which may be different than all of our movies, you're going to see superheroes and supervillains working together. Now, that sounds strange, but it's the truth because we're all here for the same thing, and that is to evolve, to remember who we are. So Abaddon is not going to be, um, he's not going to be cuddly. He's not going to be loving and full of bright, radiant, high vibe light that the three of us might be filled with, but he is ultimately here to awaken the masses. And everything that I've learned, everything that I've seen, literally, if you look at some of these movies and TV shows, they use the name Abaddon in, on certain characters. And you can see little clues as to what they're doing. And what I have come to realize is that Abaddon's army is both uh, a, a zombie type army energetically and also genetically modified army. So one of one of the keys to that is through one of the biggest hit anime called My Hero Academia, which is one of my favorite shows. And in My Hero Academia, and this is a pattern that's seen throughout tons of different movies. And when I explain it, you'll you'll see what I'm saying. But the the bad guys, they have these genetically modified puppet beings that are like these beasts that just they can regenerate. They have these super strength powers. They're vicious. They're 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 intense but they're completely mindless, completely mindless. And these are the chimera that we hear about from the uh, inner earth, you know, the dumbs, the deep underground military bases, the, the dark tunnels with all the trafficking, the chimera that have been seen there in these experiences and have talked about, these are these genetic hybrids. And these are very things that the book of Revelation talks about, Abaddon will have power over. Well, to me, Abaddon and the Dajjal, the Dajjal is the Islamic Antichrist. To me, they're the exact same character. And they, this character will be a, a physical being. And that is the thing that we have to take into consideration. Though, for example, we are all the Christ, um, everything is both a wave and a particle. So there is the vibration, again, of the 144,000. And then there are 144,000 specific beings, right? So if there is an antichristic energy, there will be an antichristic character. And the Dajjal has a lot of similarities between um, his powers, his abilities, and Abaddon. 
And the Dajjal, they explain that um, he's going to claim that he is the Lord of this world, um, but he will be ugly. He will um, have scars all over his face. One eye will be completely bashed in. The other one will look like a raisin. And But he will be able to do superhuman things like uh, take someone's life and immediately give it back to them to show the people around him that he is their Lord. And all of these things are, are, are prophesied. And as we start to move into this, we can start to see, well, wait a second. When I'm talking to somebody that has the, you know, the thing, when I'm talking to them, they kind of seem off. They kind of seem like they're not really there. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I talk to people that have multiple of those things, that's almost like they're a robot. Like they don't have any heart in them. And that is how Abaddon is growing his army right now. Abaddon, the Dajjal, um, what's another name? Ariman. This is the Ariman energy that Rudolf Steiner talked about. And he will mislead people. He is here to teach people discernment through being the anti-example. Are you going to allow me to make you my puppet? Or are you going to step into your power? And if, I, I guarantee if there's somebody that that this being would interact with of the light that is truly in their power, he wouldn't even mess with them. He'd be like, all right, you, you got it. You're, you're good. But it's these people. In, it's like they take advantage of the low hanging fruit. Um, exactly. Because yeah. it, it's the it's the concept that if you're gullible enough to be fooled, then you're, you deserve it. Right. Because the whole point is that. If we're not potentializing ourselves, if we're not blossoming, we're wilting. Yeah, that's actually, yeah. And and the cabal actually literally say that, that principle of, they call the masses sheeple and useless eaters and all these things. And they basically, their philosophy is, oh, all these people deserve everything we're doing to them because they're, because look at them, they allow it. They don't even, they don't even see it. Like they're, they're literally not staying in the power they're allowing it so they they just deserve it and and their whole philosophy though is also um like do do what thou wilt um uh, only the strong survive like survival of the fittest the strong survive so they think they are the strong like well look we're doing all these things and no one's stopping us so so we deserve to be in the position we're at and they deserve this um and in a sense what they're they're right in one sense in that yes people are asleep and that's why they're allowing it but the second they wake up it's game over that's the whole mm-hmm. that's the whole game that's the, that's it yep. that's the yep. whole game it's it's to keep you asleep and keep you creating we're the ones creating it they're just putting it out there and then we're too unconscious to realize we're the ones actually feeding that and creating so, it so what about- i, I want to add to that real quick tyler yeah. Yeah. um so it is logical what they're doing, right? But mm-hmm. it's backwards logic. Right. And backwards logic is the logic of living backwards. What is live backwards? Evil. Evil. So at the root of all evil, and I really want to hammer this home to your audience, at the root of all evil is love. Mm-hmm. Every evil intention has a loving intention behind it. It doesn't matter. I've gotten into these silly debates with people that just keep trying to go as far as you can down the the dark spectrum. But it doesn't matter how far you go. They just want love. They want to be seen. They want to be powerful. They want to be heard. 
Mm. And so all of it is coming from this total inversion of logic itself. And when we see that and we integrate that they think that they can't be connected to source, even though that's literally impossible, but they're just absolutely convinced that that's the case. That is a terrifying, heartbreaking, lonely, hellish experience to be in, you know, and from that multidimensional perspective, it's very unconditionally loving of their soul, their higher self to say, you know, I'm going to do this so that you guys don't have to do it so that you can play the light and I'll take on the darkness for you. I mean, that's pretty awesome in my opinion. Um, So you think they're doing it because they want to be loved or you think they're doing it because they're feeding their ego. And then what is ego like is, is, is wanting to be loved and feeding your ego basically the same thing. Like you just want. Yeah. yeah. It's this, it's the same thing, but it's based in conditional love. That's the ego, right? That's fear. So unconditional love is how we enter what I would call our divine ego. And we do have a divine ego. I'm not here to tell people to kill their egos. I I love my ego. Why would I? I created it. Why would I get rid of it? <laughs> so um, in the egoic sense, though, when we are doing things that are counterproductive, using the backwards logic of being this evil character, that's, again, there is no really good or bad. We're just talking with semantics here. But using this backward logic, it's tr- they're trying to manifest love but all the love they're trying to manifest is conditional. It's coming from the external. So because it's coming from the external, it leads to disempowerment every time because you're relying on something outside of yourself that can change on the drop of a dime. So all of these beings, they they think that they can't access source. So the only love they can access is conditional love. Well, how you get conditional love? Well, you got to be cool. You got to be famous. It's got to like be rich. Power over others, which like is not real power. Real yeah. power is internal. They're trying to get this external power, which is not power at all. That's like a exactly. David Hawkins book, Power Versus Force. He goes into all that. And it's an, mm-hmm. I highly recommend that book, by the way. It's amazing. And he talks about the difference between power versus force. The evil, the evil cabal and the rulers of society use force. That's all they know. Mm-hmm. So and they think that's all there is like they they mm-hmm. they their belief is that that's all there is and they have to do that and like you said they believe they are disconnected from source but that's physically impossible so they're they're mm-hmm. basically operating well, asleep themselves they they have forgotten completely who they really are in the true nature of reality because if you realize all is one why would you ever try to hurt someone outside of you or have power over something or someone outside of mm-hmm. you it doesn't make any sense cuz you're doing it to yourself everything you do to someone else you're doing yourself and that's what that's the basis of karma that's why karma works the way it does because every you do to someone else it's going to come back to you because you're literally doing it to essentially yourself on a higher level mm-hmm. um yeah. i mean so the amount of karma that they have you know is astounding and they're but but again they're serving a purpose like you said they are ultimately because without the dark what light has no meaning without you know one mm-hmm. or the other that's the yin yang um it's like they are helping us to awaken to who we really are they're helping us to evolve that's what the dark (laughs) serves the dark basically serves the light you could say right absolutely it's what they're experiencing essentially is that it's like a programming it's like an egoic programming or or quite literally they've been groomed 
into that position and they they've been programmed to think that way so um mm-hmm. it's right. programming really it's it not is. right it's not an organic thought form it's that's the but if someone else is programming you you have to be in an unconscious state to be programmed because exactly. the second you wake right. up you program yourself there's nothing mm-hmm. that can program you then yeah and and i think this is a great time to shift into power dynamics which i'd like to explain very clearly to your audience so as we're going through this collective shift into the age of aquarius uh the power dynamic is completely shifting so let's say we have the the cabal over here and they're their power they're the elite you know they're running the world and we have been kind of down here right um but as we start to shift up the cabal is like oh crap they're starting to wake. It kind of looks like a snake. I'm doing like a pup and, yeah. <laughs> um, but they're like, oh crap, they're starting to wake up. And then their vibration lowers down. And then as theirs lowers down, we get more information and we become more empowered. So ours comes up and through the law of perpetual transmutation, it's, it gets to a certain point where literally when we pass them, they're like, oh, it's game over and their whole vibration just tanks. And when they tank, then the difference between us shoots and skyrockets. So that's what we're what's happening. And the reason that this is happening, and it's going to be very seamless, very fluid over perceived linear time, is because the power that they have is powerless. It is a house of cards built on quicksand. And all you need to do is poke one of the cards and the whole thing comes uh, tum- tumbling down. And that's what we're doing in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, Myself and a few others, slowly but surely growing into a larger group, we are spearheading a sovereignty campaign in Sedona, in which all we're doing is fulfilling the SESTA-KV Act of 1666. For your viewers, that's C-E-S-T-U-I-Q-U-E-V-I-E Act. And that act is the number one thing that has every single thing on this planet that is connected and contracting with the government, connected to the government and to the matrix to power it as a battery. So when we fulfill this act, and all we need to do is provide proof that we are a living being with living witnesses, we are not dead and lost at sea under maritime law per the all capital letter name that we were given at our birth on our birth certificate, we're proving that we're alive. We fulfill the act. And what that means is we're no longer a ward under the act, meaning we're an incapacitated adult that can't think for themselves. So we need somebody else to think for us. And we get power of attorney over that all capital name, which means nobody can use it unless we contractually give them the authority to do so. And what that essentially means is that a live life claim with the authority of the unity states of the world, which is a foundation for new earth created by David Wynn Miller, with this information, we can poke a single in the house of cards and the whole thing comes tumbling down because all 5,000 plus languages on this planet that can be translated to English are all Babel based on the disclosure in the Bible, as I said earlier. So David Wynn Miller, he did this genius thing, he created quantum syntax, which is the English language with many, if not most of the programmed words that are very contradictory energetically are all removed. And then it's using a specific grammar and a specific cadence that is mathematical. So the phrases that you write in quantum syntax cannot be misinterpreted. They mean the same thing one way as they mean um, backwards. Like for example, if you read sentences backwards, 
um, in the matrix, you'll see there's actually hidden meanings in backward sentences. So in quantum syntax, that can't happen. It's very uh, true. It's just like unity theory using uh, symmetrical geometrical logic. Quantum syntax also uses symmetric, uh, symmetrical geometry. So quantum syntax has the authority to invalidate any corporate agenda on this planet. Anything. And when I say invalidate, I mean I file a quantum syntax lawsuit against one of the biggest companies in the entire world. Let's say a company that's egoically keeping people stuck in a trap. Maybe let's say a very powerful social media company. And I and I file a quantum syntax lawsuit and I cite all the different ways in their terms and services, you know, their agreements, everything on their site about how it's all using Babel. And I can cite them for a limitless number of uh, counts of fraud. And in their system, their corporation has to be held accountable. And they can't do anything to me because I'm a living man. I'm not a corporation. A person, just so your audience is aware, a person is considered by the matrix as a corporation. That's the true meaning of person. So we aren't persons. We are living men and women. And when we take that sovereignty back, we can walk into any of these courtrooms and use the authority of the unity states of the world because David Wynn Miller, this genius starseed, he, he created the unity states of the world legitimately in the matrix through the UN. Well, the UN said, oh, you think you're, you're awesome, David, but uh, there's no land on the planet. So how are you going to create a new nation if you don't have any land to claim? Well, David claimed the land that was not claimed by any nation that was hidden. And that was the courtroom floor of every courthouse and every court document. So every courtroom floor and every court document has complete jurisdiction over any case when quantum syntax is used, meaning that it is essentially the live life claim is the NEO permission slip. It is the permission slip for anybody in the matrix with their level of courage to say to any matrix experience, like being pulled over by a police officer, you say to them, what jurisdiction do you have over me? And then they try and rattle off, oh, well, I'm a police officer and you have to do what I say. It's like, that's not jurisdiction. Show me jurisdiction and you can arrest me right here. And then they'll bring their jurisdiction and you're like, oh, okay, well, here's how you don't have jurisdiction. Here's my live life claim, which says, you know, in, in the SESTA KV Act that we're all a part of, and the SESTA KV Trust that we're all attached to, that you have no authority over me. And then they're like, whoa, what? And then they start to wake up. But the thing is, um, it's it's a difficult process because they are literally taught the opposite. They're taught right. lies. They're taught that if you're sovereign, you're a terrorist. What? Right. <laughs> so if yeah. I make decisions for myself and I'm empowered, that makes me a bad guy? No, that's not how that works. So as we all begin to start to shift out of the system by fulfilling the SESTA KV Act of 1666 by creating live life claims, one, we completely are disconnected from the matrix. We can be Neo in any situation. And two, when we do that, we stop feeding the matrix. The matrix needs power. It needs energy. Well, what are they doing with our all capital names behind our backs since our birth? They're buying and selling it and trading it on the stock market behind our backs, making millions and billions of dollars. Where's that energy coming from? It's coming from us. It's literally how they're powering. 
So to end that, we can only do one thing is contractually uh, cancel that agreement or fulfill it, which is the same thing as canceling it. And what I've experienced is as we are in a holodynamic universe, holodynamic universe is just like blockchain technology. So every part works to the whole. So if I'm sovereign and someone tries to violate my free will, the entire universe will turn on them and make it so they can't, and it'll make their life a living hell. And even when they're trying to, especially if I'm integrating my shadow holodynamically, I have accepted the shadow parts of me, then externally, every shadow, every dark being is actually helping me. Even if they are intending in the 3D reality to hurt me or harm me, it will never land. You know, whatever they'll do, it'll work out in my favor. Take, for example, we we kind of totally just threw my story to the side, but part of my story is going to Elon Musk to try and bring the science to the most powerful man that could use this uh, energetic positioning to transform everything he's doing and transform the world for the better. And when I went there, all these crazy experiences started to unfold. Apologies, I I just lost my train of thought. What was I talking about no, before I brought okay. Elon up? We were well. You were talking about your um, whatever I came and think of the the name. It's called already. Um, That's the KD. Oh, oh, sovereignty, sovereignty, yeah. sovereignty. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but not that. What's the name of the What's the name of that act again? I'm sorry, it slipped my mind. Sesta KV. The Sesta KV Act. The Sesta KV. Yeah. And well, it does sound like a very complex process that not everyone's going to be able to wrap their head around right off the bat. So I understand why. It's going to take some time, but it's very interesting to understand that it is possible and to even understand what our birth certificate is and that they think of us as a number and a corporation uh, and not a human. Uh, that's important. You have to realize that before you can even take the next step. So I, I, do, right. I do think that's pretty incredible. So can you can you can you go into your story, though, because you're you in your experiences? Sure. So. To start at the beginning, again, I had that scientific awakening. And my first thing that I did is I, I set down my sister and my mom, and I started explaining how reality works. And I started explaining how, okay, if, since this is how reality works, this is the truth of what's happening in reality. And like revealing all these illusions to them, like all at once. And I didn't have any awareness of how they were going to react or how this would affect them. Because for me in that moment, I felt like Neo. I'm like, I can see the numbers. I can see everything. It's so clear. And I explained it in a very coherent, calm, clear way. But the second that I finished, they look at me and they're like, oh no, you're schizophrenic. He's and I'm like, crazy. what? <laughs> I'm like, did it. you not hear what I just said and how coherent this is all tied together? Um, and then I was just like, all right, you you don't get this. So I need to go figure this out on my own. And since my name is Isaac Andrew Mars, I decided to hit the road and go to where I was called first. And that was the spiritual science. I am temple of Chicago, Illinois. And I ended up arriving about 30 minutes before they closed. I thought I'd be able to meet somebody, but they had their doors locked already. So I'm just driving through Chicago and I'm considering, all right, there's nothing else to do. I might as well go get some pizza. Pizza is one of my favorite foods. So I'm driving through the downtown area, skyscrapers all around me, and I'm going down a one-way street and I notice a police vehicle with lights and sirens on coming down the one-way street in the far distance towards me. And I used to work in EMS. I was a medic in the army for almost seven years. So I'm like, 
okay, well, that's a big no-no. So there must be a huge thing going on. I wonder what, what it is. It must be a big deal. And before I know it, all the way around me, 360 degrees, all these police vehicles start swarming me, including a SWAT van. And they swarm me in 360 degrees of circumference and they start yelling, you know, flashlights, safety's, uh, flashlights on, safety's off, talking about vectors of fire, don't open fire on your own fellow officers. And they immediately start telling me if I don't get out of the vehicle that they're going to open fire. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on? I've got my hands up. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. You're going to be killing an innocent man. I'm literally looking for pizza. <laughs> like, that's what I said. And they they said, if they just kept yelling, if you don't get out of the vehicle, you're going to open fire. And I just adamantly refused. I said, I was in the army. We wouldn't uh, treat insurgents overseas this way. This violates the rules of engagement. You're crazy if you think that I'm going to allow myself to be treated like this in my own country. And one of the officers, after a good solid half hour of this experience, me recording on my phone, um, there's there's a clip, actually, if you scroll back far enough on my Facebook of that day. And this one officer with an AR-15, he's the only one not aiming center mass. Everybody else is aiming center mass, safety's off. They could have accidentally killed me if they you know pulled the trigger. And this officer, he looks at me and he says, you better listen to me. And in that moment, every single fiber of my being lit up with what I can only describe as righteous rage for my boundaries and my experience. And I looked at him dead in the eyes and I said, no, you listen to me. And every single officer in that moment simultaneously lowered their weapons and were knocked back by an unseen force. And he looked at me like, who the heck are you? And in that moment, everything shifted. They put all their weapons away. They sent over a sergeant that was more like a father figure without a weapon. And I told him how we were going to proceed. After they did everything they needed to do and they had me out on the ground, they booked me, took me into uh, one of the police stations because there's quite a few in the Chicago city area. And the officer that was handling me, he was doing everything he could, the way he was handling me, the way he was talking to me to try and trigger me. And I looked at him dead in the eyes and I said, are you on someone's payroll? And he stops and he goes, hmm. and he has this like Figured. puffing, puffing face. Like he, he, I called him out. I was like, okay, all right, I got it. And after that interac interaction, I was brought in and interviewed or interrogated by an FBI agent who wanted to know about my theories. And why would I say anything to an FBI agent? Um, especially considering in this moment, I'm sovereign. I have no problem sharing with the world that, yeah, I was scared at the time. And yeah, I didn't tell them everything. And I didn't tell them the truth about my theories because I knew that if I told them anything that they could twist that in a way that I didn't want. And so I was interrogated by the FBI. Then I was brought to uh, a hospital in which I talked to three ER doctors. They asked me what's going on. I explained the situation. They're like, you're totally fine. You're going to go home tonight. And then I talked to one psychiatrist and the psychiatrist sits down and he's a younger guy and he's like, well, we're going to book you overnight because we're a little concerned. And I'm like, what do you mean that all the other doctors said I was going to leave? And then he says, well, you seem to be having symptoms of mania and, you know, you're talking really fast and you're, you're talking about these grand scientific ideas. And I cut him off and I say, wait, 
you mean to tell me that since you can't keep up with the rate of my speech and that you can't understand what I'm saying, that I'm crazy? It sounds to me like you're projecting. And then immediately he starts stuttering. He goes, what? and I'm like, why are you stuttering? Are you nervous? Are you trying to do something that's not helpful here? And he starts stuttering more. And I'm like, yeah, we're done here. You can leave. And of course, he lies on the paperwork because I needed to experience this. I go up to the the psych, uh, psychological wing and I'm put into a shared room with two other patients. There's partitions between us, two security guards sitting at a security station um, on constant different shifts. And I tell you what, the way that they treat us in there, treated us in there was demonic. I mean, these were typical security guards, pretty overweight, eating hot Cheetos and Mountain Dew, watching YouTube constantly. And they were just normal individuals while they were doing that. But the second anything happened with one of the patients, they would turn demonic and, and yell at the patients and say, shut the, shut the F up. I'm going to drug the, the F out of you if you don't shut up. And that's the way we were treated in there. And on top of that, when I was trying to get some sleep in that experience, uh, every time I would start to fall asleep, I'd immediately wake up. And it was not very long before I realized that the gowns and linens that we were given were soaked in ammonia. And ammonia is in smelling salts. So this is how you wake somebody up when they're unconscious. So for over 72 hours, I had no sleep whatsoever because they were trying to get uh, a rise out of me. They were trying to get me to act out. There was right. one point in which I was convinced I needed to break a window grab a shard of glass and take somebody hostage just to get out. And then my guidance from within was like, that's exactly what they want you to do. And I'm like, oh, and I just breathed this relief. And I just went back into my center and back into my face. And I'm like, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to get out of this. I was taken from there to a state-run psych ward in which literally everybody in there, minus two people, 95% of the patients were like the three of us. They knew the truth. They were awake, but they were lost in the sauce of low vibration emotion. And because of that, they were thrown in the dumpster, the spiritual dumpster of modern society. And I had to see that to see the state of the world, to, to be able to speak on this and to speak on our brothers and sisters that we need to liberate because it's totally backwards. This is not just, this is not loving. And after I went through... Uh, a total of 10 days between those two facilities having the ultimate mental test and mental fortitude ever, I got out and still had to deal with issues. The police, the Chicago police had replaced the registration in my vehicle, put in an older registration into it. So when I tried to get it out of the impound lot, um, I couldn't. I had to get a U-Haul, drive to Michigan, get new registration and come back to get my vehicle out of the impound lot. So I had to go through all these things and just play it cool. And then after I got out of that, that experience, I'm like, all right, well, I'm out of there. Now it's time to go to the mission. It's time to go to Elon Musk because he's the guy that needs the science. And before I, I drove a thousand miles to Austin, um, I you know cleared out my apartment, canceled my lease, put everything in my vehicle and I tried every phone number, every email that I could find you know, through Tesla, and 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 SpaceX and nothing was coming back. Nobody was answering. Nobody was responding to me. So I drove the thousand miles to, to get there. And on the way there, I had some profound experiences. But maybe I'll bring those up um, in another video because we're we're 
really going deep here, but I had profound experiences. Uh, YouTube started kind of bringing into my awareness the concepts of star seeds, ETs, you know, Syrians, Pleiadians, Andromedans, all this stuff just started popping up. I didn't ask for it. It just happened. And then I got to Austin. I got to the Tesla Giga Texas factory, got to the front gate, and I'm talking to the two security guards there, and everything's totally great. And I explained to them the situation. I'm, I'm a theoretical physicist. I'm here to bring new science to Mr. Musk. It's going to transform his company and everything he's doing. And they're like, okay, that's great. Well, do you have an appointment? And I'm like, no, I just told you. I tried the phone numbers and nothing came back. Um, and then one of the guards, he says, well, what's your name? And I said, Isaac Mars. And he goes, you have to leave right now. And I'm like, what? I just drove over a thousand miles to get here. I'm not going to leave. And he's like, you have to leave right now or we're calling the police. And I immediately get suspicious. I'm like, this is off, man. Like this, I worked in security for a year and we would never treat people at our front gate this way. The easiest thing to do is just give them a phone number or, you know, have them talk to somebody in the company and then say, okay, we'll get back to you and then have them leave. There would be no issue. Right. Yet, that's all they had here, to do. This is what you're right, Aaron. This is why I was bringing up um, that how the dark actually helps the light. So this whole experience, if they just brought me in and then let me go, that I wouldn't have had this experience. But instead, I was guided to because negative attention is better than no attention, right? So I stayed there and I just peacefully um, resumed trying to get in contact with anybody coming off the evening shift. You know, they're all driving out around 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then the police arrive very quickly as if they're waiting for a call and they end up getting my window down, threatening to tase me. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'll go. And I go into this experience in jail and get this. So they arrested the guy. You. Hold on. They, they, so they arrested yeah, they, you for that? They they arrested me for criminal trespassing is what they were claiming. Wow. Um, and yeah. And so they, they booked me, they took me into jail and I only bring this up because I don't know where it's going to lead, but it's very interesting and it's synchronistic because what are the chances? But the first cell that I'm in, the guy on the other side of the cell is overhearing me talk to the guard. I'm like, this is a misunderstanding. I'm a theoretical physicist. I have answers for Mr. Musk. And he overhears me. And on his time out because of COVID precautions, um, we are only allowed 30 minutes every day. So it's basically solitary confinement. So he comes out of his, his cell and he starts asking me questions at my, my cell door. And he's, he's like, uh, you're a physicist. And he, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, tell me about your theory. So I start explaining to him the, the infinity mirror proof and, and how time works, how we exist. And he's just, he's totally on board. Um, and then he says to me, well, I know Elon, he gifted me an electric converted uh, vehicle, and I'm supposed to be working with him on a project, um, and I'll talk to him uh, for you. And he claimed that he was, get this, a nuclear physicist that knows the answer to time travel. What are the chances that that scientist and then myself end up with a wall between us in the right. same space? The right. odds are astronomical. Not a coincidence. And after he was taken to another facility, I was taken to a separate wing of the same facility. And it was just, everything was just really intense, but magical, like out of a movie type of experience. And while I was in there, I think I was in cell 11 on the second floor. 
Um, I, I kept using, uh, it's one of my new favorite words, stickyomancy, which is, um, I think I'm saying it correctly, which is using books to discern messages from the universe, essentially. And I was using the Bible for that. I was getting these really, really intense messages. One of them said that I would be tested by the venom of an adder. And a death adder is a very venomous snake. And so I'm reading these things, not really sure what's going on. But in the first day or so of eating the food, it's like my stomach, it's just, it feels like it's going to explode. It's going to rupture. And I'm like, I, I can't eat this food. This is poisonous. So I start to fast. Uh, around the second or third day, a nurse comes uh, to my door. She says, uh, we need to give you a tuberculosis test. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I was a medic in the army. I was trained on how to give those. And so I know how they work. And I'm like, that's no big deal. Here's my arm. Well, she puts a little bubble under my dermis or in my dermis, I should say. And uh, in that layer of skin. And then she never comes back. And the whole point of a TB test is to see if the test is positive or negative. In the way that I was trained, you always check it within 15 to 30 minutes because tuberculosis is one of the most contagious diseases known to mankind. It is curable, but it's still one of the most contagious. So even coughing around somebody can cause them to get it. So the guard, when I explained this to him, he said, oh, no, no, she just needs to come back within two to three days. And I'm thinking to myself, what? How does that make any sense with a contagious disease? It doesn't. It just goes completely backwards. Well, again, she never came back once. So after that injection, I immediately over the, the next day or so started feeling symptoms of rapid heart rate. My heart rate was twice the normal. It was in the 130s, 140s at rest. My contractility, the, the strength of the contraction of my heart was increased. So my heart was going boom, boom, boom boom, like really intensely. And then my blood vessels were all vasodilated. And I could sense that because when your blood vessels are vasodilated with a, a, a toxin or a drug or medication, you kind of feel weak. And like, everything's just kind of like open in a way is, is a way to describe it. And then there was this other symptom that is the hallmark sign of what is known as a triple A, an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And that is a pulsating mass in the abdomen. And 999.9% 9 .9 of anything going on in the abdomen will not have a pulsing, pulsating mass. But if you have a pulsating mass, this is an indication that you are on death's door. And a, a AAA, it's essentially a heart attack or like a stroke, which is the brain attack essentially, but in the abdomen. And we can bleed out our entire blood volume into the abdominal cavity. It can fit all of it. So if you if that happens, you're on death's door. Well, as I was feeling these symptoms, I knew exactly what was happening. I knew I was poisoned. I knew that they were trying to assassinate me. So what I did is I took the Bible, which was really all I had at the time, clutched it to my chest, bawled constantly, bawling my eyes out. And I just kept saying, Fear, or, uh, faith unto death, faith unto death. And every time I visualized my death, I visualized my immediate ascension as well. And because of that, they that could not manifest that way. They could not kill me because by killing me, they would only uh, speed up their downfall because the visualizations that I was guided to visualize was not just some angelic looking man. This was a superhuman. This was a Superman type character that could break down the cell door and walk out and hold them accountable. So 
fundamentally, they at some level, they knew that they weren't going to be able to do this, yet they still tried. And when I came out of the other end of that, that poison, I thought I was getting drugged again, because this was probably day four or five of fasting. And there's this huge wave of healing energy that came over me. And before I knew it, I'm like, no, this is good. This is helping me. I can feel my heart calming down. I feel like my stomach doesn't hurt anymore. And interestingly enough, on the fourth day of fasting, I had a bowel movement that was nothing but nothing but parasitic worms. And interestingly enough, my awareness on genetic manipulation was very, very tapped in at this point because the Anunnaki are described in the Sumerian tablets as genetically modifying beings on this planet to become humans. So, and the way that time works and time dilation, Nibiru or planet nine, planet X, whatever you want to call it, um, Nibiru is a, an extremely gravity dense planet, meaning that time would uh, fly rapidly in comparison to earth through Einstein's theory of relativity. So that means they have way more of an advantage to expand their technology to get to the point where they can genetically modify things. Well, if you consider the eons and eons and eons that they've had for this technology for, they can do anything. So when I picked these worms out of the water in the toilet to try and put them in a cup to show somebody else in my 30 minutes outside of my cell, every time they would hit the atmospheric um, air, they would dissolve as if they were genetically modified to dissolve under the presence of, say, nitrogen or something of the like, so that they were completely untraceable. And wow. that was really spooky. And then after my my spontaneous healing, when that poison was transformed, transmuted, then I was interrogated by a physician. And when I talked with this physician, I'm sure both of you have probably experienced this, experienced this at least once, but there was no love in this physician. It was all mind. It was like talking to a robot. And all she wanted was to know more about my theory. She didn't, she said it was a mental health evaluation, but all she asked about from the first question was about my theory. And she was like, well, what are you going to do with this? And I said, well, I can't get in contact with Mr. Musk. I'm just going to start releasing it on the internet for free for everyone. And immediately she says, we're done here. And then I'm being rolled into an EKG. And I'm like, why, why am I getting electrocardiogram when I'm a healthy young adult? And nobody will give me an answer. And the nurse is just like, it's just a precaution. Well, as I'm fasting in this freezing facility, I'm shivering and they don't have any blankets for me. And the way that an EKG works is all electrical conductivity. So I'm shivering like this and my muscles are conducting electricity every time I shiver and shift. So when you try and look at the waveform on the EKG, you can't even see it because there's a mountain of electricity. Um, and I explained this to the nurse because I was a medic. So I've done this many times. And I say, nurse, this is going to be a bad read. You're going to need to get me some blankets first. And she lies to my face and she says, no, it was a perfect read. She folds it in half so I can't look at it and then walks out of the room. And so at that time, I was like, what are they doing? Are they going to try and falsify my EKG? Say I need a specific uh, electrolyte that I don't need and then put me into a dysrhythmia and say, oh, he just had a heart attack. We don't know what happened. Um, right. So I just kept, I kept praying and I kept praying. 
And then at a certain point in my experience around the eighth or ninth day, I open up the Bible and I say, I reveal to myself the truth now. And I put my finger down with full confidence that I'm getting the truth. And it's, I land right on Revelation 2, verse 10. Behold, do not be afraid, for the devil is about to throw you into prison. And for 10 days, you will have trial and tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and you will have the crown of life. And on the 10th day exactly, they opened up the cell door and said, Isaac, you're free to leave. All charges were dropped. And that's when I fully transformed all of the fear that I had that all of the mass, that huge mass of fear that I needed to transform to get back into my heart. So by going through that experience with the Chicago PD and then the experience at Tesla, I realized, okay, I don't need to keep doing this. (laughs) I don't need to keep jumping into the lion's den. I can just be myself and follow the vibration, the guidance, the path of least resistance, and everything's going to all fall into place. And that's when I started to meet the first you know, spiritual brother after my awakening that I'm still friends with to today. That's when I was guided synchronistically accidentally to Sedona, Arizona, which happens to be after all of the patterns within patterns and the prophecies and, uh, you know, all the media that I've experienced, my multidimensional perspective all points to one location being the prophecy, New Jerusalem, the new city of peace in the book of Revelation. And that's Sedona. And that's also tied into the Hopi prophecy. So again, all these things are all culminating to this grand awakening. And I'm telling you right now, brothers, is that me and both of you and basically everybody that we know and love in our soul groups, in our soul family groups, we are the main characters. We are the ones that are revealing the truth to the people. We are members of the 144,000. Everything that I am aware of says that it couldn't be any other way. And we're all Neo. I'm excited. <laughs> we're all Neo. Me too. We're yeah. all Neo. Exactly. We are. Well, that was incredible. Uh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that you went through all that. And I mean, talk about shooting themselves in the foot every step of the way. That's exactly what they always do. But it was all um, divinely orchestrated at the end of the day. And it, look, you're here now sharing all this beautiful information. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, can you please let people know how to follow you and where they can find your work? Absolutely. But uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be meticulous here as a Virgo son and say, I don't want anybody to follow me. Do not fall low to me. Rise with me. Let's all rise together. And to do that, you can catch me at thecrimsoneagle.com. That is T-H-E-C-R-I-M-S-O-N, eagle, like the bird, .com. And that's the same moniker for practically all of my social media. So YouTube, Instagram, you're going to find me at the Crimson Eagle. On Facebook, you can find me at Isaac Mars. And I just, just created a Twitter like yesterday because I know I'm going to have to use that to probably communicate with Elon at some point. So if you want to follow me on there, uh, frustratingly enough, somebody already took the Crimson Eagle in 2013 and they're not even using the account anymore. (laughs) So I am on Twitter. You can find me at I am the irregular. And 
Yeah, I'm just so excited to work with other like-minded individuals. I'm excited to work with people that aren't like-minded. For example, if anybody out there wants to work with me, collaborate with me scientifically to bring the truth to the people, I'm open to that. If you want to debate me, if you want to invalidate my work, please bring it on. I'd love to be wrong. It would be a very pleasant surprise um, because really it's all about the truth. That's what I'm here for. It's not about Isaac. It's, it's about all of us. It's about you because you are the one. Well, thank you for that. This was, a, this was incredible. Again, thanks for coming on and sharing everything with us. I really yes. enjoyed this. I, I know the audience is going to love it. Um, can't thank you enough. And uh, yeah, guys, please go make sure you check out his website. And Oh, and, and real quick, your book is, you can download your book for free on your website, correct? Yes. Absolutely. Free or love donation. And it's only 77 pages. You can basically read it on one sitting on the toilet. And uh, if you don't want to go into the whole spatial uh, science, which is a good portion of the book, you can actually skip pages 24 to 42 and just get the spiritual science stuff to really tap into your full potential. That's that's what I'm here to offer. It's We are all Neo. We are all the one. And the only way that we need or the only thing that we need to do to get out of our own way is to always choose unconditional love over fear in every moment, first towards ourselves and our own minds, and then towards everyone and everything else. Every part of the ego is plugged into the heart. So if you heal the heart, you heal that coherence between the heart and the mind, everything immediately starts to fall into place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Beautifully at, the, said. at the end of the day, it's love, always unconditional love. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to the audience for being with us tonight. Uh, we can't do this without you. We appreciate the donations, your love and support. Don't forget, um, you can sign up for our Patreon for, <clears throat> for only $5 a month. Uh, we're putting a lot of time and effort into some exclusive content over there, webinars and things of that nature. So we have a documentary that will be yeah, coming out. We're soon. in the process of working on a documentary on the Cahokia Mounds, which might sound boring, but let me tell you, it's turned into something Not. really awesome and profound. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll see you guys in Aztec, New Mexico at the end of August. If you guys want to hang out with us there to Sunfire Fest. Thanks again, Isaac, for joining us. And until next time, have a great evening. We love you all. Good night. Much love.